0: Hello and welcome to Movie Buffs Quick Pump, a mini show that covers the best action films of all time. I'm your host, Shani B. You can find me on all the socials at Shani B. Movies. Today I'm talking about the 1975 film Death Race 2000, starring David Carradine and Sylvester Stallone. If you haven't seen it, it's about a cross-country race where contestants kill pedestrians to gain points based on each kill's brutality in a dystopian version of the year 2000. This movie. I have so many things to say about it. So first, I have to say this movie is so surprising. I feel like I could see so many movies with a direct line to it just being influenced by it or sort of sharing some kind of seed in story. Just something so surprising about how much better this movie was than I was ready for it to be. When the movie begins, the title credits are sketched. Somebody's drawing, which is really, really cool, of course. But it definitely made me at first think, oh, no, this is perhaps going to be a kind of low budge that maybe even though I love movies from the 70s, is is not going to be good. And that was absolutely wrong. For being a low-budget movie, they surprisingly do a lot in this. Some of the movies that I feel like it directly connected to, it reminded me so much of Death Proof. The POV of the car on the road and the windy roads, all the cars basically being indestructible, and the lead character, Frankenstein, basically being a man full of scars from all of the races. And he just reminds you of Stuntman Mike in terms of his cool factor. And while the car that Stuntman Mike drives is way cooler in reality, the cars in this movie are so, so cool. The Hunger Games is kind of lifting from this in many ways with its character portrayals of, you know, the capital city and what the people are like there and how the whole United States is watching this televised Violent thing and how people in the future are uh, trusting the government in really strange ways. And so there is something really fun about how, again, these things are, are all being influenced by a movie that I didn't even know existed. So I'm, as you can tell, I'm very excited. Also, there was there was like a purge vibe here that I thought was really cool, too. The idea of points for kills and sort of how the purge is taking that a little bit more literally because it's not a game anymore. But how this idea of people killing each other for the benefit of the country, for entertainment, for the government is just a very interesting thing. Again, I did not expect here. Something else that was uh, kind of unexpected, too, about the point system is that they did say the most points were for old folks and babies, which is interesting. I was curious maybe more about what that had to do with the world they'd created, rather than just maybe the easiness of saying, you know, hitting someone's heartstrings with like, it's not cool to kill children or old people, which of course I agree with. But I was curious as to why that, why they had outlined those things. And for a movie that's only like an hour and 20 minutes, I want to say, maybe not even, because when I queued it up on Tubi, it seemed like it was only like 119. But either way, for a movie that's so quick, they really tried their best to put things in that meant something. And to be from the same year as Rollerball, I also loved being able to compare the how both of these movies basically tried to say the same thing, just in different kinds of ways. And I will say Rollerball probably has more space to be an auteur style story with a little bit more mood and tone telling. But this one is really fun and it gets the job done being very blatant about how this government is corrupt and we're going to try to take it down and we're going to use the race as a way to do that. We're going to try to create a better future than the dystopian one we are stuck in, which is, of course, a classic kind of storyline. The 70s have a lot of psychedelic things in their filmmaking, and that is definitely true here. And the government in this movie is so interesting because when they go to the president's house, The president has like a palace in Peking, so he's not even in the U.S. And they show it in this weird way where they're coming up a stairwell as if he exists on high, like he is a godlike figure. And there is a bishop who starts the race. There's just a lot of really, really trippy stuff in this that, like I mentioned in Rollerball, is a little bit more subtle. Here is very heavy handed and it, it's still really entertaining and it feels really daring or something. Like these guys could have just souped up these cars and messed around and crushed a bunch of heads and stabbed a bunch of people for fun. But they were interested in making sure there was some kind of other story because the B storyline of this film involves... What appear to be kind of like union style workers, factory workers, kind of labor people. And those folks are trying to intercept the race. So they're trying to tell these stories of duality in here, too, even though we don't really get a lot of content in those spaces. It really makes me want to watch the reboot. And I wonder if they're going to be if they're able to do anything more with it. I have to say all of the cars and the production design of trying to get these cars ready because ultimately they've got to use one, two, three, four, five cars. They need to have made five cars that they're going to mess around with blow up a fair amount of them, crash them into shit, and they look really cool. They look a little bit like something you'd find in a matchbox kit or a matchbox set or something, but they're really, really cool looking, and I like Frankenstein's sort of dragon car, and I really like Machine Gun Joe, who is played by Sylvester Stallone. His car has some Tommy guns on it and a massive knife coming off the front. So there's just a lot to play with in, again, the theatrics of this movie and the world that they're building where that kind of stuff is, is just happening. There's some Nazi stuff in this story, which makes a lot of sense because in dystopian futures, there, there are always Nazi elements because there are always white people in charge. And that, of course, is happening here. But something crazy about the Nazi team in the story is the actress who was playing Matilda the Hun named Roberta Collins looks so much like Charlize Theron that it was legit tripping me out because I was just thinking, like, I guess if they remade this and they were going to stay true to it, she would be so good as this. But I also don't know how I feel about, I don't know, I guess the Nazi stuff was really interesting just considering... How in the future we continue to contend with these things in real life and how, you know, this movie was about the future. So I I just thought I had to mention how crazy that was because I wanted to just laugh at it and be like, yeah, Nazis are stupid the way this movie is portraying them. But it was a little hard because the lady playing the Nazi was looked so much like Charlize and also was like really funny the actors in this movie are surprisingly doing a really good job playing the caricatures that they have been assigned. Mary Waranov, who plays Calamity Jane is really funny, you know, teasing all of the men and being just as rough as they are driving her bull car. And that's something that's pretty cool about this movie, too, is there are female drivers. So there are three male drivers and two women drivers. And the first driver out is a man. The ladies kind of last and the women are a part of this thing by being navigators and stuff too. Machine Gun Joe's navigator, Myra, played by Louisa Moritz, is really, really funny. But sadly, Machine Gun Joe is a dick and he definitely slaps her around a bunch, which I did not like because I really liked the funny caricature that she was playing of sort of a goofy mob girlfriend. But, you know, knowing where the road goes, having the navigation in mind, and I I appreciate When that stuff in the background is trying to make sure that we understand, like, everyone has a job here. It's not just another pretty lady. Even though the main woman here, Simone Griffith, who plays Annie, she's Frankenstein's navigator. She's just another sexy lady in a 70s movie. There is so much nudity in this movie. So many more boobies than I saw coming, which is totally fine. All 70s movies have so much unique kinds of nudity where you're not expecting to see those boobies and then there they are. And it's... It's fun to see because nudity changes so much over time. So we've got Annie here. She's naked several times, just like the actress who plays Myra and Calamity Jane. But also, so are the dudes. Nobody's hanging bird or anything, but everybody is exposed. And in particular, there is a scene where All of the racers have finished for one day and they're all getting, I guess, like therapeutic response or something, massages, getting taken care of in the layover. And they're all like naked and on TV getting these massages. So when they argue with each other, they're naked and they're fully exposed. I found that to be a curious thing because that's something that's similar in a lot of those dystopian future movies where people are kind of forced to be on air, like forced to be public figures. But in this case, I feel like it ends up working to their benefit because they probably were just like, let's have these people be naked. They're all very attractive. But it also says something about how even these people are not allowed to recover independently. They're not allowed to have any moments of privacy. And it's like even in Rollerball... James Conn like had a house they gave him he could go to that he was alone at. I'm sure they were watching him though. And I will say having the ladies be drivers and having the ladies have like really smart mouths here was fun because sadly in Rollerball it, it does seem more like the women are only there to sort of be the girlfriend he has for a little while. Here the woman playing Annie she is sent in to be an insurgent and she has a job to do and she has an idea for what she's after and I think Maybe the most surprising thing of this movie is that there is a love story happening as well. You know, I mentioned this movie surprises me in a number of ways, but the love story I really didn't necessarily see coming. I know it's always got to be there, right? We always have to have some kind of romantic something happening. But I, I guess, again, in this one, I didn't I didn't figure they'd go there. And it's a really it's a funny one. I wouldn't say it exactly feels authentic or something, but it's kind of sweet. And it's interesting to see David Carradine like being a romantic lead with this woman who is so far out of his league, but out here looking at him so longingly. And so I have to say, I absolutely love that. (laughs) There's only like one fight scene in this movie where Machine Gun Joe and Frankenstein get into a little bit of a fight after day two It's just such a disjointed fight scene. You wouldn't expect it to have been something that Sly would do. And I think he definitely improves by the time he gets to Rocky because this is before Rocky. So it's before he is basically going to turn a massive career. And I love it. I love that this is here and that they try to do all of this action-oriented stuff on whatever budget they must have been working with because there's only a few of them in all the rooms. And I'm not sure if that's supposed to mean anything other than they don't have the budget for extras, but it means something to me because I love watching a movie and making up things it means. So let's talk about some of the other performances. I have mentioned that David Carradine is playing Frankenstein, and he's wearing an amazing gimp suit that reminds me so much of the gimp suit in Pulp Fiction, another Quentin Tarantino movie. And I have to believe in my heart of hearts that Quentin Tarantino loves this movie. I I have to believe it. I know he's seen it. I know he is influenced by it in some way or another, because I think I'll be regardless. But he's got a fan club. There are these like ladies coming up to him being like, I I know you're afraid to fall in love and that you're looking for love. And I just want you to know that I love you. And, And then the woman sort of stands in the way the next day and he runs her over for the points. And I guess knowing her and loving her perhaps gives more points. But I just remember feeling very cheesed out by that moment and thinking, what is this dynamic character they are creating? Apparently he's raised by the government in order to be this killer driver. I don't really know what that means, uh, because I think it's more of a metaphor here, like in the the lore or whatever in the background information. When I was researching, he's supposedly wrongfully convicted of something, but maybe that is from the reboot. Like I said, I got to see the reboot. I want I always want to go original first when I'm catching something I haven't seen before, and I am curious to see if you know what the differences are and what they might mean. He's struggling to be the national hero he is for killing every for killing people so well in this race. And he is literally hiding a hand grenade under his leather glove. He, he's mostly in the gimsuit suit the entire movie so that he can cover up all the scars he supposedly has. But of course, Annie exposes that this is just a way for him to keep something personal and private to himself. But under there, there is a fake hand and embedded into it is a grenade. And he's been waiting to get access to the president so he can shake his hand and blow him up. So even Frankenstein, who is supposed to be the staple of this new government, is against it. And that's exactly like how James Kahn is kind of feeling in Rollerball. So there's definitely something to how that's, I think, every generation there is some kind of personality that probably feels that burden, feels like they're not allowed to be authentic. And I love that it is also intertwined into this (laughs) storyline. Also, so many funny things happen in this movie as we get closer to the end. The race stuff in particular is really funny, but in the end, it's it's a little bit underwhelming in terms of how Frankenstein loses that hand grenade, giving it to Annie so she can kill Machine Gun Joe and Myra in their car. And he kills the president by driving the stage down, which I just don't know that that is enough given what this president's supposed to represent. So I like that they tried, but I don't know how successful they were outside of maybe just trying to help people understand something or be entertained. I'm okay with that. I I don't necessarily need to learn every time I watch a movie. Curiously, we really don't even ever get to see the president for more than the two scenes he's involved in in the very beginning of the movie and the very end. So I would have liked to have more information about this world for sure. Maybe that's something I'll be able to see in the reboot. To get into the filmmaking, we've got a couple writers here, Charles B. Griffin, who will later be known for Little Shop of Horrors, and Robert Tom, who I don't really know a lot of his other works, but he died in 79, which is kind of a bummer, because he won't get to see the real year 2000, or he didn't get to see the real year 2000, but that's okay. He did a good job of imagining some version of it, and I'm grateful. The director is Paul Bartel, who his imdb shows is more of an actor than a director which is pretty cool i believe he had a small part in the movie introducing frankenstein he's in like 92 things on his imdb so the guy is a working and i think he did a pretty good job directing this if i have to pick this is always going to be the hardest part for me because i don't ever want to just pick one thing i am a buffet person at heart and i want to pick as many as i can so The sequences that I think most stood out to me are when Frankenstein is first introduced and he awakens, he kind of sits up under this sheet, the sheet falls down. We get into a POV, which also reminds me of RoboCop when we first are introduced to RoboCop. But it's just such a good scene because it really sets a tone for the strange mystery that is around this guy and what that's going to mean. And for how strange it is that the world is so interested in these things and what that means. So that sequence really sticks out to me as, as a clear distinguisher between this movie being just an easy throwaway garbage action movie. And this movie attempting to enter itself into something a little bit more grounded. And so that definitely sticks out, especially because in the wrap of that scene, he sort of walks away from the crowd of people and he is a single black streak in this very big white room, which I really, really appreciated. The filmmaking doesn't have to be good for this one to be entertaining. And and it surprises me at every turn. Honestly, the stunts are really where it's at. We've got Sly crushing heads, rolling over people. We've got hospital workers putting old folks into the street for Frankenstein to run over, who he then just runs over. There's just so many stunts and kills in this. And honestly, I'd love to see if I can get my hands on some interview footage or something and speak to the stunt coordinators of this stuff because it's too hard to distinguish a stunt from a kill here they all are practical they all are awesome but i think my favorite is in real time they show sly come up upon a guy on a ladder and they get him to fall off of this ladder in real time and land and then still be hit by the car in a stunt and it is crazy. They insert this stuff in with an amazing head, like, crush. His head is totally splooshed under the Undersly's wheel. It's a great stunt and kill. There are a lot of great kills. I'm not sure which is my favorite, but Frankenstein conveniently drops his glove right at the beginning of day two, I want to say, so he can circle back and run over the bishop. So from the beginning, he's turning around and killing people he's not supposed to kill, and no one can really do anything. Little Katniss Everdeen vibes there, but it that's a pretty good kill because it shows you that some of these kills have no meaning, but most of them probably do, and I appreciate that for sure. Calamity Jane sort of runs over these street gang guys and she just bursts through them. There's some construction workers that are, you know, trying to just do some work in the street. They get run over. And then the newscaster who's covering the race is like, too bad that guy was only 38. If he was two years older, it would have been worth more points. The kills. They're not for nothing here, which is really nice because they could be. And I'd have taken a few, but it seems like they all they're all coordinated to the person who's making the kill and to the television coverage of those kills. Yeah, I think the best one is when the Nazis get killed by thinking a detour sign is real and driving straight off of a cliff. Matilda the Hun has been a total menace out there on the roads, like running people over, being, being a total psycho Nazi about it. And then nice and easily just pop a detour sign up, send her right this way and off a cliff she goes. So good. Very satisfying. Always love to see some Nazis die. I'm nearing the end here, so I'll just share one fun fact that I found in the trivia. Director John Landis makes a cameo here as a mechanic before he's going to go on to, you know, do Coming to America or any of the other great comedies he does. It was hilarious to see him here. You know, everybody is young and inexperienced at some point in their life, and everybody isn't who they're going to be at some point in their life. So it was pretty cool to catch him there. All right. I think that about wraps it up for me. Thank you for listening to Movie Buffs Quick Pump and for breaking down Death Race 2000. Follow the show on Instagram at Action Movie Buffs and follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Shanny B Movies. Thanks again for listening. Hope to see you next time on Movie Buffs Quick Pump. Stay buff.